Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hey, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 374. Welcome back. Hey, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. I want to take a second to thank everyone that have been leaving ratings and reviews on Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, all those other places. Thanks so much. It means a ton to the show. Well, this week's guest is really exciting. Her name's Stephanie Walter. I'm recording this just shortly after the interview, and it was a really interesting conversation. We dive into legacy banking concept, otherwise known as the infinite banking concept. This is something that's taken me personally a long time to wrap my head around. Probably four or five guest interviews on the podcast now, and I'm just starting to understand it. So if it's still a little above your head, hey, don't worry, I'm right there with you. And if you've totally got this, well then, hey, reach out and let me know how it's going because it's an interesting concept. And I think it's really valuable for real estate investors to understand there's tax saving implications. There's all kinds of benefits to this vehicle. That is a whole life insurance policy. So we're going to talk about that today and just how real estate investors can use it in their own life. So let's go ahead and jump right into this week's episode with Stephanie Walter. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 374. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. Today's guest is Stephanie Walter. She is the CEO of Airbay Wealth and a legacy cash flow specialist, capital raiser, syndicator, and real estate investor. She has been a financial educator for 15 years and a real estate syndicator for the last 10 years. Stephanie's passion is teaching people to unlearn what most of us have been wired to think about money and re-educating people on attaining wealth that can be passed on to the next generation. She lives with her husband and her young son in Colorado. Stephanie, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. Well, Stephanie, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your background, all of that good stuff. Okay. Well, I started my journey. I'm an insurance agent, actually, is how I started my journey. I quit my W-2 job in 2006 and started to invest in real estate at that time. Didn't have any real education, but it's kind of hard to screw it up in Colorado because it just appreciates like gangbusters here. There you go. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in about 2000, you know, uh, 16, I started looking at investing in bigger properties and I'd always been approached by other people who want, wanted to invest in my deals. And, uh, so from there, it just got a lot bigger. 
and we started uh, syndicating deals. I realized there's a lot of moving parts to a syndication. A syndication is really just a group of people that, you know, buy a big piece of real estate. And I realized kind of my niche was working with the investors and raising the money. And my partner really needed that someone with those skills. And I really like doing it. And in the course of working with all these wealthy people, I noticed that they handle their money a lot differently than how I do and most people do. So I started implementing some of these strategies about three years ago, and I just retired from my insurance uh, business, just sold it in December of 2020. And now I just, I raise capital for these deals. Yeah. Okay. So in 06, you quit your W-2 to kind of go out on your own. And when you went out on your own, that was in the insurance industry. Is that right? Uh Yep. It was in the insurance. And I invested, my goal was to invest in a single family home, like every year, every couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. And what did that progression look like for you? Did you have any real estate before you quit that W-2 and became kind of involved in the insurance industry? Or did the insurance industry kind of lead you to real estate? The insurance agent sort of led me to real estate. My dad was kind of an entrepreneur and he was always giving me advice that basically was don't ever put your all your eggs in one basket was his thing. So I didn't really have any education to buy rental properties nor be a property manager at that time. I have a lot of stories about learning a painful way on those. But uh, yeah, I just wanted, knew that real estate always made sense to me as opposed to the stock market. So that was sort of my focus. Yeah, sure. So how'd you kind of get started very first investment in real estate? What did that look like? It was a duplex in an area that my agent, my real estate agent was like, are you sure about this area? <laughs> Those are always the best. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, ended up living on one side and I purchased it as, you know, with a residential loan, which was nice. I did only had to put 3% down and lived on the one side and rented the other side and then kind of did that for a few rentals. Yeah, that's a fantastic strategy, especially for people getting started or buying their very first investment property, right? Mm-hmm. Buying that small multifamily, house hacking it, living in one unit, letting the tenant in the other or the other's units, you know, pay for your mortgage. And yeah, that's a brilliant strategy to get started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I realized, I think it was about, oh, you know, just it's three years ago, but I had quite a few rental single family homes and I was just like telling my husband, well, we'll be able to retire in another, you know, 20 years. And that's when it kind of hit me that that's a long time to be a landlord and there might be something better to do with that equity that's just sitting in those homes. Sure. Yeah. So you've been working in industry for 15 plus years now. I'm mm-hmm. sure you've got a lot of you know experience that translates well into the world of real estate. What are some kind of lessons or some takeaways from that industry that you carried over into the world of real estate investing? I think the what I learned are the things not to do. Those are because, important. <laughs> yeah, because I would see my clients doing things. It, I really noticed that the timing of the real estate investments 
is really important. You know, obviously, I remember my dad said, you know, you'll always make money on real estate as long as you don't have to, you know, have a time frame in which you have to sell it in. But I saw a lot of people kind of go down in that 2000, you know, right before the crash in 2007, 2008, they bought, you know, and they were trying to flip, saw a lot of those go badly for people. So and and not to say that flipping is a bad thing, but I think that timing definitely is important. Yeah, sure. I want to emphasize what your dad advised you. You know, he said, you'll never lose money in real estate if I've got that quote right, if you don't have to sell it, right? And another way of putting that is, if your property is creating a positive cash flow every month, well, then you don't have to sell it, right? Because it's not Mm -hmm. costing you anything to keep it. That's the importance of investing for cash flow. Is that your takeaway from that advice? That's exactly the takeaway. Yes. And, you know, I cash flowed a little bit, but yeah, not as much as now with the syndications. But yes, cash flow is absolutely key. <laughs> yeah, sure. So how did you go, Stephanie, from, you know, working in your W-2 to transitioning to, you know, the world of insurance to now, you know, a seasoned apartment syndicator? What's that transition like? And you know, <laughs> what advice do you have for someone trying to make that same progression? Honestly, I was just curious about apartments and I remember I went out to like one of those seminars for a day and then that definitely intrigued me more. And then I signed up for just like a education really, but it was with RE Mentor, but it wasn't just like education. I mean, it for syndications though, that's what, you know, it was marketed as, but it really helped you see, you know, that these are businesses, these houses are businesses, and you need to look at what kind of returns they're giving you. I used to get real attached to real estate, you know, based on, you know, I just would, you know, love the house and just love it. I can't sell it. But they're each businesses. And you see that much better with the syndications, because obviously, we're selling essentially selling our investors on coming into these deals with us. And so it has to be a pretty compelling piece of real estate that's going to be making cash flow out of the gate to attract the investors in. Sure. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, you talk about teaching people to unlearn some of the things we've been taught over the course of our lifetime about money. What are some things you had to unlearn yourself and what lessons do you have for people in that arena? Well, for me personally was I owned all these rental properties with a lot of equity just sitting in them. And my goal was just kind of to buy and hold and just, you know, just let it sit there. But, you know, working with wealthy people, you see that they don't do that. They don't ever let their money sit anywhere. They very few of very wealthy people I've seen have actually have 401ks. That was a real eye-opener for you me. You said they do or do not? Do not right. have 401ks. And they're constantly investing in either businesses, in people, in ideas. Uh, they look at their money as a tool, not as something that's just going to sit on the sidelines for them. And when I started, it took a while to have that mind shift. But once I did, my life dramatically changed. 
Yeah. And when you start thinking about your money, Stephanie, and assigning every dollar has a job, right? And if Mm -hmm. it's not actively working for you and it's just sitting in, say, equity in the walls of your house, that's a not a great use of your money, you know, putting it to work, keeping that velocity of money moving. That's a concept that can be hard to kind of wrap your mind around at first because if you're coming from, you know, an all debt is bad mentality, like we kind of all start out with in the world of real estate investing and then kind of getting over that hurdle that, okay, there's a difference in good debt and bad debt, the rich Mm -hmm. dad, poor dad principles, right? And all that stuff. But many people listening to this show are, you know, beyond that and they understand the differences in good debt and bad debt. But is that kind of like, you know, where you kind of start with, you know, maybe some of your coaching clients and, you know, kind of that mindset? Yes, for sure. The mindset, I just wrote something about this on my social media, but just how important mindset is. And it truly is like, if you don't have the right mindset, you're never going to make those changes for one. But yeah, it's absolutely the foundation. Sure. Now you said, you know, you've studied a lot of, you know, wealthy people and you found that many of them don't have 401ks. They're, you know, constantly putting their money to work in control of their money. What are some other things you've seen, you know, the wealthy do differently? I mean, they use tools other than the bank. And that's probably a bit more in depth, I guess. But they, a lot of them actually use a product like an insurance insurance policy, which I know that, you know, people are like, well, that makes no sense. But actually, there are some policies that have been used for since before the Civil War, actually. And they provide people, really, you can set them up to be very similar to your own bank. And the cool thing about that when you are bringing up the velocity of money is when they're set up the right way. Essentially, an investor can take the money out of their policy and put it, say, into a syndication and be making money in both places at the same time. So when we're talking about velocity of money, that's about as fast making money on your money in two places at once is, you know, that's the best way to do it. It's and like giving your $1 two jobs, right? And it's yeah. like pulling double duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's another thing that I noticed from them, but What's... they're just incredibly efficient and incredibly concerned with the velocity of their money. Let's talk about that vehicle that you're alluding to here. And I think I understand what you're talking about, but that's kind of this infinite banking concept, this legacy mm-hmm. banking concept, right? Tell us exactly what that is kind of in layman's terms. It's basically a whole life mutual policy. And essentially the way that it is built is it's built to, it's real important to minimize the costs and maximize the returns. Once the money goes into this product, there are no taxes. So a lot of the wealthy are quite interested in, you know, putting money aside that they can draw from that's going to be tax free. And so the money you set this up and it really just depends on the person's what their goals are. You know, if they're wanting to invest a hundred thousand dollars every five years, then we structure a policy in which it can be built that way and they'll be able to pull the money out and invest and then put the proceeds back in. And it really works as their own bank. 
And the benefits, as I said before, is they get tax-free returns on their money, even when it's out being invested in other things. And when they draw from the proceeds in it, they're not taxed. So I think something I've also noticed about the wealthy is they're not, they are concerned about how much investments are making and how their money is working for them, but they're also very conscious of tax implications. And they realize that, and I think that's probably why they don't invest in the 401k. One of the reasons anyways, is because there's a big unknown at the end of the 401k as to what will the tax rate be? And how much money do you really have in a 401k? You know, no one can tell you that, not even your financial planner. Sure. Yeah. Well, Stephanie, this legacy banking concept is a concept we've talked a little bit on the show before. And to be honest, it's taken me a few iterations to just start to wrap my mind around it because it's just such an unconventional vehicle and it's not something, you know, we grow up learning about. But if I could kind of summarize it and ask you a few questions about it, the way I understand it is you purchase a whole life insurance policy, right? You fund that policy over a certain term. Money goes into this account. I think I've got it right up to this point. Now, here's where I have a question. Is that money invested at that point in some sort of market? No. Okay. No, no. Not, I mean, there are a lot of different types of insurance and some insurance agents will be selling the universal life policies that are tied in some way to the stock market. But those are not, I don't work with those for a lot of reasons. The whole life policy we deal with is the money that is not at all tied to the stock market. Okay. And that's why I like it. And so the way that they come up with their returns is they actually take your money and go out and they invest as crazy as it sounds, a lot of times in huge syndicated deals, huge real estate deals. And they're just hoping that they do a bit better than the amount of money that they're paying you. But these products have been around since before the Civil War. They're, you know, what bank do you know that's been around since the Civil War? I mean, these companies are incredibly stable and they're, they're names that most people really haven't heard of, but they're, yeah, that this product has been around for a really long time okay. and utilized largely by, you know, the 1% to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. So you purchased this whole life insurance policy, you fund the policy right through monthly installments or payments. I'm not sure what to call them, but you know, you put X amount of dollars towards it every month, you start growing up a, an account balance, if you will, inside this whole life insurance policy. And the benefit to this is you can borrow against that without having to take the money out. Is that right? That's correct. And the only reason they use the borrowing term is you can get around having to pay taxes on the money. Okay. And that's just the way that it's structured. But the loan terms are I guess I don't want to go super deep in it, but when you borrow, you borrow based on simple interest rates, but your money is continuing to compound. So if that makes sense, the money definitely increases way more than the loan. Okay. If that makes sense. Sure. And then (laughs) let's say at the end of this whole life policy term, I guess, if I've got the terminology correct, 
do you get that money back that you've funded the policy with? Yes. Yep. It's always your money. It's all, this is always your money. So you can take the policy and you could actually, you know, take all the money out of it and it would, it could cancel or you can structure these policies so that they give an income to you for the rest of your life. And then the cool thing is, is you could almost drain the whole policy and then pass away and your beneficiaries would get, you know, whatever the face amount is on that policy. So you were able to use the benefits while you were living by getting the tax-free income and being able to the, use the money in two places at once. But then when you pass on, you've just enriched your next generation. And actually, the little secret about that is that's how really, really wealthy families maintain their wealth from generation to generation. So there's a great book. It, it's called What Did the Rockefellers Do? Yes. And yeah. 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 And is that's that by like Garrett Gunderson? Yeah. Garrett yes. Gunderson. Okay, and he's... Yeah like his writing very much. But yes, that's exactly what the Rockefellers do is they purchase these policies on everyone. And so that's how their money continues to pass from generation to generation. So it's pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So can we run through a scenario possibly of, you know, say there's somebody out there listening to the podcast, let's say they're in their early thirties and they're interested in implementing this concept in their own life. What would step one look like? And maybe kind of give us some like rough numbers to play around with. Can we do that? Sure. You know, I think it really, with these policies, it's kind of an individual thing. So it really depends on the money that they have that they want to have into this policy. So you could start something like this for as little probably as $100 a month. But I have, you know, large investors that are putting in, you know, $50,000 to $100,000 a year, actually, because their goal is to build up the cash value very quickly and then be able to, you know, borrow that money out to invest in different projects. So I don't mean to be vague, but it's just different on what the person wants to accomplish and okay, well, let's how fast try to like they throw want some it. parameters out there to play with. So let's say I'm interested in starting a whole life policy and I have $1,000 a month to fund this policy with. Is that a good enough start to kind of sure. play around with? Okay. Yeah. So what would that policy kind of look like? What would it do for me and say three to five years down the line? You know, what kind of things could I see from it? Well, we would basically. The way that these policies work is the more time you can give it, the more, you know, time you're giving the money to build up. But, you know, so in three years, you'd probably have, you know, like Mm $36,000. You could take, you know, all but $1,000 out of that policy and then invest it in something and continue then at that point to be making whatever the policy is paying you as far as the interest rates. Mm as well as then you could be investing that in something else. And so then over time, that would, you know, we put together these summaries, and you could just see how much money that that it just depends on how long you'd want to pay that for. But you could easily get, you know, a million dollars from doing this strategy over the next 20 years. Okay, so I won't hold you to any of these like, 
interest rates or anything, but let's say I fund it with $1,000 a month. That's $12,000 a year. Let's say five years down the line, I have $60,000 funded towards this account now, right? Let's Mm -hmm. say now this whole life insurance policy is paying me a return on what I've put in, correct? Right. So let's just say that's 1% for easy numbers. Sure. And not compounded, right? So in five years, it is actually it's compounded when how you're paid. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's say in five years down the line, I have $60,000 funded towards my policy and I'm earning a return on that $60,000, correct? Yes. And Mm -hmm. I go withdraw, let's say $50,000 of it to go purchase a duplex, which I can do, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm still being paid interest. Like I had $60,000 in that account. Is that right? Correct. So I get to use my $50,000 to buy a duplex. And I also kind of keep my $50,000 in there that I don't actually have in there, earning a return like I had it in there. Correct. Yeah. That's really where the true power of this kind of vehicle lies. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, that is the power of it. Because you're going to be, you know, say your return on what you're investing in is 8%, you know, you're getting the 8% plus, you know, the interest rates are changing. They change on these policies. But yeah, let's just say 4% return you're getting on the 60,000, which is actually paid without any taxes. So maybe we're looking more, you know, in a way that you'd be paying taxes of a 5% interest rate, you know, on your money. So it's just 5% more, you know? Yeah. Okay. So it's a, Well, it really makes the 401k seem like a pretty lame vehicle then. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one reason I have, you know, there's quite a few that, you know, make it a pretty, pretty lame vehicle as far as I'm concerned. But (laughs) I believe in real estate investing uh, just knocks the socks off of it. Yeah. So this is an interesting vehicle that you can marry up with the investing strategy of real estate, right? So you can Mm -hmm. use the proceeds from this to invest in real estate. And then you really start building this snowball of wealth and equity and financial freedom, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. I have, you know, my, a lot of very wealthy people take advantage of this. So a lot of my investors, you know, have policies that they pull the money out of. That is their strategy. They build the wealth within their policy, and then they take that wealth and invest it in syndication and then put the money back in at the end and then do it over and over and over again. So, And this is not similar in the sense to an IRA in that you do not have any maximum contribution limits, right? Correct. Yep. Um, Put in as much as you'd like, mm -hmm. tax-free. Well, yes. I mean, we have to build the policy uh, with the MEC limit to be sure the IRS put some limitations on it, but they're nowhere close to, you know, what the Roth or the 401k limits you to. Now, some drawbacks I've read about this, Stephanie, and I'm pretty new to the topic, but one thing Mm -hmm. I've read about this as a drawback is once you make that, let's go back to our early scenario of a thousand dollar a month contribution, say six months down the road, I don't know, my car breaks down or something. I don't have the $1,000 that month to contribute. I'm still obligated to contribute that $1,000. Is that right? No, no, not necessarily. I mean, the the way that we build the policies is just incredibly flexible. So if you needed to miss for a period of time, your money just wouldn't accrue as quickly as what we had projected when we took the policy out. But under... 
the policies we work with that what you're saying is not the case. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. See, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm super new to this concept <laughs> and, uh, you know, asking a lot of beginner questions. So I hope the uh, audience is getting value from it. Oh, for sure. Because I would say I talk to, you know, I mean, hundreds of people a day and, you know, most of them have never heard of this. Yeah. Why is that? Why do you think it's such a unknown vehicle for the kind of everyday person? I don't know. I think, well, a lot of people think life insurance and they just, they go, woo, you know, it it scares them. And then they hear Dave Ramsey, who I really, you know, I like him very much. And I think he definitely helps a certain percentage of the population. But he and Susie Orman feel very strongly about that. It's just not a good thing. And that gets in people's heads, you know, I'm sure those are some of the reasons. And just, I think in general, we do what we're told to do. And, you know, we're told to put our money in an IRA and let these smart financial planners watch our money. And I mean, I I believe that they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) As much as you think they know, because I actually years ago, I had my series six license. And so I did, you know, all the training. And I can tell you that there's no magic bullet for these people that are managing your money. It's just, you know, a formula that they, you know, go step by step by step through. And then that's where they put your money and they have no control or no inside knowledge that you don't have about these things. Talking about the control piece, I could see a lot of value in this specific vehicle as compared to a 401k or an IRA, kind of looking at like a tiered structure. Your 401k is kind of the bottom rung of the ladder where you're giving somebody control of your money. They're investing it in a bunch of things you probably have no idea about, much less have any control over. And then one day, only one day later on down the line, (laughs) you actually get that money back and get to, you know, use it, right? Then you've got things like self-directed IRAs where you can kind of have a little bit more say-so over your money, but you can't go actively invest it on your own, right? You can't go buy a duplex and live in it, for example. And then now you have this whole life policy, right? Where you truly have kind of checkbook control over your own money. You can go out, buy a flip property, buy practically anything from my understanding. Is that right? There's no, it's your money. Yeah. I do have one comment about the self-directed IRA, just because when I first started uh, putting people's money into my investments, a lot of them wanted to go with that. The closer you look at that strategy, it's not a great one because what ends up happening is they invest their money, say, in a syndication. And once the syndication pays out back into the vehicle that so they can't touch it, they never get the money. Right. But then they'll it'll he'll they'll be able to pull it out when their retirement age. Mm -hmm. And actually they'll be taxed as ordinary income. So let's say that person had put their money, taken it out, paid the taxes as to liquidating their 401k, and then invested in the syndication. When we go to sell it, they get taxed based on the capital gains. There's a huge, it's almost double as far as the tax ramifications between those two things. And that doesn't even reflect what the future tax rates are going to be when they go to take that money out. I know a lot of people in this industry try to encourage people to roll their 401k 
pays over to the self-directed ones. I am not a fan of that. Because I don't just like a 401k, an IRA, you can either have a traditional or a Roth taxed vehicle, correct? Mm-hmm. So that's what yeah. you're referring to as the traditional. I'm yeah, a traditional 401k that you would roll over to a self-directed IRA. Mm-hmm. And yes, I don't believe in that vehicle. Yeah. I mean, if you have to, I understand, but I really think addressing tax issues now as opposed to the future you're going to do a lot better. Now, in an IRA as well, there's a thing called UBIT tax you have to be aware of, right? And that's something that might be triggered when you're investing in real estate that has debt on it. And I'm starting to get over my head in terms of knowledge here, but what about investing through your whole life policy? Is UBIT something you have to be concerned with? No, no. The Whole life policy has no limitations. That's your money. I usually just explain it to people as simple as really having your own bank. I know you hear that on the radio and most people don't know what that means, but it truly is. You can use that for buying a car, going on a vacation. There's no one there that's asking you what you're using the money for. And once it's in, I kind of use, you know, it's once it's in this vehicle, it is exempt from taxes. So, you know, that's a pretty cool thing. So you can pull the money out at any time and it doesn't, it's not a taxable event. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, this is really helpful, Stephanie. It's a really cool concept. It's something that not many people, you know, know about much less have been, you know, taught about in their upbringing. So if anybody's like me, you know, it, it's taken me and it still is obviously a long time to kind of wrap my head around this concept and really kind of understand it. But if people want to learn more about, you know, this concept, this legacy banking concept that is, is there a kind of a resource or a place you could point someone to? Definitely visit my website. It's www.erbewealth.com. And I have quite a lot of information on there about the legacy banking You could also set up an uh, appointment. All my contact information is on the website. All right. Awesome, Stephanie. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up with the lightning round. It's just a series of questions we ask you, fire at you. Are you up for it? Sure. All right, cool. The first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And what'd you do to overcome that? For me, for sure, it was knowledge. Uh, I was fearful that I didn't know what I was doing. So... I signed on with RE Mentor for my first few years, really to get an education. I would consider it a master's in real estate education and definitely was worth every penny I spent on it. (laughs) Yeah, great. Stephanie, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Well, I know I'm a very hard worker. My husband could call it a stubbornness. I (laughs) will just stick with something until I get it done. And so, yes, I think the hard work and I just kind of push through. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day-to-day? We actually use uh, CoStar and Crexy a lot when we're looking for our properties. And I find that they have really great resources to look at the deals and do the analysis of them. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm familiar with CoStar. What is Crexy? Crexy is more like a commercial, like a loop net. Okay. Have you ever, yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
they list different, you know, projects on that site. Awesome. And it's free. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Great. Stephanie, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? I like the book Killing Sacred Cows. That's uh, Garrett Gunderson. We've mentioned him before. And I love this book because it talks about money and how you think about it on a very broad level. And it also talks about, you know, just your philosophy of money, your mindset, and how, again, the wealthy do it differently but also talks about the 401k, many, many reasons why that is not the place to have your money. Yeah, sure. That's a great book. Uh, I've read it myself by Garrett Gunderson. That's Killing Sacred Cows. We'll link that in the show notes if our audience members want to pick that up. Stephanie, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Stephanie? Well, a couple things. One, 20 year old Stephanie, go out and buy everything in the Denver metro area because you <laughs> have no idea how big it's going to get here. But no, the second, I would say, you know, learn about syndications, get out of the mentality of buy and holding your real estate for a long time and look at these syndicated deals because that's where true wealth is definitely made. Awesome. Well, on that note, Stephanie, where can people go to learn more about you, your real estate business? And I know you're actually syndicating deals quite a bit now. So tell us more about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, no, we have one to two deals that we do a year. We have a real exciting one right now in Florida. I'm not sure when this is going to, you know, air. So it might already be kind of oversubscribed at that time. But definitely if you want to get more information, you can go to my website again, uh, www.airbaywealth.com. There's a free report that you can download uh, the five reasons that passive investing might be for you. Okay, great. That's www.airbaywealth.com. We'll link that in the show notes. It's spelled E-R-B-E. Is that correct? Yes. Yep, that's it. So a bit of unique (laughs) spelling there. Tell us about that. That actually is a nod to my dad. He's kind of set my mindset for my life and he passed away suddenly about 15 years ago. But when I named my business, I like legacy because that's what I feel like my job is, is helping people build their legacies for their families. And that is the German word. And my dad was a second generation German. His grandfather came over in the twenties and After he, you know, in those days, he'd have to go and work on a farm and kind of earn his citizenship. And once he did that, he became a bit of an entrepreneur himself. I love it. (laughs) Well, capital raiser, syndicator, real estate investor, and legacy cash flow specialist, Stephanie Walter. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Look forward to speaking with you in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively. 